Welcome everyone to our BJJ podcast for the month of February. I am Andrew Duckworth and a warm welcome to your team here at the Bone and Joint Journal. As always, we'd like to start by thanking all of you for your continued comments and support, as well as a big thanks to our many authors and colleagues who've taken part so far. We hope that you're continuing to enjoy our podcast and all our knowledge translation work delivered from your team here at the Journal. Uh, we focus on papers each month, published it in the BJJ, as well as our special edition podcast series that's included our insights from the US, along with the special editor series with our invaluable specialty editors here at the Journal, both of which we're continuing into this year. So today I have the pleasure of being joined by Mr. Ben Block, who is a consultant orthopedic surgeon at Nostrum Electrical Orthopedic Services to discuss his study entitled, Should Patient Age Thresholds Dictate Fixation Strategy in Total Hip Arthroplasty, which has been published in the February edition of the BJJ. Welcome, Ben, and a big thank you for taking the time to join us today. Thank you very much, Andrew, and thanks for the invite. So, Ben, the aim of your study was to examine the long-term outcomes of total hip replacement procedures with different fixation techniques in different age groups, with the aim to sort of determine whether cemented fixation results in superior outcomes in terms of implant survival. So, Ben, if you could just give a brief introduction to the paper and maybe some background to what we know about in the literature already about the overall survivorship of total hip replacement. Uh, so, yes, thank you. So, um, generally, as we all know, hip replacement is associated with reliable outcomes and generally excellent survivorship and excellent patient satisfaction, uh, and in fact, the Lancet termed it the operation of the century. Uh, we know there have been some historical issues with some implant types, particularly, for example, large head metal on metal bearings and some hip resurfacings. And we know from registries that there are increased revision rates in younger age groups. But as we've noticed, certainly in Nottingham, there's an increasing revision burden with things like infection and periprosthetic fracture, less with implant loosening, probably associated with better polyethylene over the years. But in general, you can get excellent long-term outcomes with both cemented and cementless constructs and using particularly contemporary metal on poly, ceramic on poly, and ceramic on ceramic bearings. So uh, we set out really to see whether there was any difference in fixation uh, in our tertiary referral centre with a fairly large number of patients. Oh, yeah, that's a very nice overview of, of where we are in terms of literature. But and before we move on to the study that you've you've mentioned there, can you give our listeners some details about the idea, which you mentioned very nicely in the introduction, about the idea of the cementless paradox and how this relates or maybe contradicts the, the GERFT initiative and its recommendations with regards fixation strategy? The, the cementless paradox was um, uh, really introduced by Henrik Malkow and his group uh, in 2013. And looking at various joint registries around the world, they all really report increasing uses of cementless hip arthroplasty, often despite the very same registry data suggesting that cemented hip arthroplasty is associated with a lower rate of revision. Mm. So your paradox is that you know, your registry is showing one thing, but surgeons are doing something else. Now, the GERFT report, Getting It Right First Time report, came out in 2015, and part of it examined trust's usage of different types of implants. Uh, and in fact, came out with a recommendation that we should increase the use of cemented components, both because of reduced revision rates in the NJR, but also because of a possible cost reduction and cost effectiveness is obviously something that is as important as outcomes. And it noted that this, in general, a cemented hip arthroplasty was expected to have a 95% survivorship at 10 years, but that younger surgeons tended to be using more cementless hip arthroplasty. And that was likely to be a reflection of of what they observe in training and possibly the effect of overseas fellowships. Certainly, not only the US, but Australia uh, is using a lot more cementless arthroplasty than cemented uh, and parts of Europe as well. So if you, if you go overseas to do your hip fellowship, you're much more likely to see cementless arthroplasty than cemented arthroplasty. Yeah. And there's a best practice tariff as a result of all of that to incentivize cemented fixation. 
which was later modified to include hybrid fixation as well. Uh, and I think we see the results of that now with the 2021 NJR report uh, showing for the first time that hybrid fixation has overtaken cementless fixation. But all cemented fixation does continue to fall. Uh, and I think the growth in hybrid fixation is really at the expense of cementless and cemented fixation, yeah. with cementless fixation peaking in about 2012 and hybrid fixation growing significantly since then. Yeah, I think that's a really nice overview, Ben, about how there really continues to be a, a, maybe an uncertainty or debate about about the mode of implant fixation, which I think is where your your paper comes in nicely. So if we move on to the how it was designed, it was a retrospective analysis of prospectively collected data that was conducted on all patients who underwent a primary total hip replacement in your institution in just over a 16-year period from the 1st of April 2003 to September 2019. You identified patients from your local database and then linked data obtained from the NGR. So Ben, with regards to the study design firstly, what were the criteria for the patients included or excluded and why was that the case? So the inclusion criteria were really all primary hip arthroplasty performed here at Nottingham University Hospitals. We did exclude resurfacing. I think that's a different procedure. It's got different indications and a different patient population. So it wasn't really generalizable. Uh, and there were a few uh, options, uh, bearing options like large diameter metal on metal, fortunately not too many here, uh, smaller diameter metal on metal and ceramic on metal, uh, and also a few dual mobility procedures, which we really excluded either because of small numbers or because the bearing surface option had now been withdrawn. Uh, and there were a very few reverse hybrids, uh, and only about seven or eight of those, so we excluded those as well. So can you then give us a brief overview of the primary procedures you performed and how the baseline demographics uh, of those compared in terms of your cemented hybrid and, and cementless? Sure. So I think it's important to note that in our series, the cemented group was generally older mm-hmm. and the cementless group was generally younger. Mm-hmm. And most of the surgeons here in Nottingham don't have a, necessarily have a one-construct-fits-all approach. And we'll, we'll do both cemented or cementless, uh, generally choosing cemented for poorer bone quality. Mm-hmm. The cemented patients were generally a bit frailer, having a higher ASA grade, but also tended to have the lowest BMI. Yeah. yeah. Very reflective of, of people's general practice of those various construct types. So, And then in terms of the outcome, what was the primary outcome measure for the study and how did you sort of determine it? So the primary outcome was just revision for any cause. The advantage of revision for any causes is very easy to measure, and you can cross-check with the NJR data, but it's a very crude endpoint. Yes, yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. And in terms of the secondary analysis you, you performed, you looked at sort of age cutoffs. Why did, you, uh, why did you look at those, and why were those cutoffs chosen? So the first cutoff we chose was uh, age of over 70, and that's the original best practice tariff and GERF recommendation for cemented fixation. So we just looked at that as that was an easy correlation. The NJR then reports age ranges, either less than 55, 55 to 64, 65 to 74, and then greater than 75. So uh, age 75 seemed to be a logical cutoff to use. And then we looked at age over 80, because these would seem the least likely patients to have their implant revised and likely to have the poorest bone quality. So that was the group where um, one would expect to see the, the, the greatest difference between constructs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes that makes complete sense. So if we if we move on to the results of the paper, the study group included just over 10,000 total hit replacements from a prospectively collected database. And that included 1,699 cemented replacements, 5,782 hybrids, and just over 2,600 cementless. And of these, 179 were revised, and this included 47 cemented, 93 hybrid, and 39 cementless. So in terms of your primary outcome measure, Ben, what did you sort of find in terms of the overall implant survival and how the three groups compared? 
So I think the first thing to say is that all three groups did pretty well. Yeah. The ten-year survivorship was 97% in the cemented group, 97.6% in the hybrid group, and 97.9% of the cementless group. That does uh, open up a little bit by 15 years with 95% in the cemented group versus 97.4% in the hybrid group, but still pretty good at 15 years. Mm. We found that the cemented group had the worst survivorship, but this was not statistically significant. Mm. Interestingly, then, when we look at the reasons for revision, you do start to see some differences. So there's a difference between an aseptic loosening between cemented and cementless cups. So we had, I think, 16 cemented cups that were revised for aseptic loosening, which is almost 1% of all cemented cups that went in. Look at the cementless cups in both the hybrid and the cementless groups, and it's about 0.05% of the cementless cups are revised for aseptic loosening. So there is a significant difference there. Yeah. If you look at uh, the numbers revised for instability, it's about the same percentage in all groups. But again, the cementless cups had a different revision profile. Rather than the socket revision, about half of them could be dealt with with a liner exchange rather than a full revision. Mm. And you could argue that that's a potentially lesser procedure. Yes, it's still another operation, but it's potentially less mobility than uh, taking out a well-fixed socket and revising the socket. Absolutely. Again, uh, another advantage of a cementless socket is that it allows you to do a liner exchange for a DARE-type procedure. Mm. And the final thing to say is we saw a definite increase in stem revisions for periprosthetic fracture uh, with cement-less stems compared to cemented stems. And that's a well-known factor in the literature. And I suppose one of the things I would say, and then we'll come on to maybe come on to weaknesses of the study a bit later, but one of the things that, uh, is, that you could say is that we don't have data on any fixation of periprosthetic fractures. We only have revision data. Yeah, absolutely. But before we move on to the, sort of the secondary outcome measures related to that, I, was, I noticed as well with your mean time to revision, you know, it was about 4.5 years in the cemented group and 2 to 2.5 in the hybrid cementless. How, how do you sort of interpret those numbers? What's your thinking behind that? Yes, that's interesting. And I did wonder whether there is possibly the option of people considering a, a, for example, let's look at a dislocation, a more conservative option, such as revising a liner to a constrained liner and, and going in there slightly earlier than you might do if it was a cemented socket and you knew you had to revise the socket. Yeah. Uh, it, it is possible that, that um, the the difference in implant fixation would uh, have an effect in terms of the, the time to revision in that you might look at a dislocating hip with a cementless um, socket and well-aligned components and think you could go for a more conservative option of revising to a constrained liner uh, mm. earlier than you might do if it was a well-fixed cemented socket. But our study did not really look at the, the differences in time for those revision options. Absolutely, Ben. I think I think agree. I think that was one thing I thought. But also, there isn't obviously enough real revisions to maybe <laughs> delve into that into too much detail, yeah. but thankfully. And um, what about in terms of your secondary outcome measures when you looked at sort of patients over age of 70 and then your other age cutoffs? What did you see then? So I think the, the first thing to say is there is no significant difference in revision rates from a statistical point of view at any time, uh, at, at any age group. That mm-hmm. even in patients over 80, we found that an all-cemented construct had the highest revision rate. Uh, compared to hybrid and cementless. Was that surprising to you? Or you or was that what you, you were expecting to see, did you think, when you looked at the overall analysis to begin with? Um, it, it was slightly surprising. I, I thought that it was slightly surprising that the cemented had the, the lowest implant survivorship at 10 years. I thought yeah. it would be, I, I didn't think one construct would be better than another, but I thought they would all be fairly equivalent. 
No, absolutely. So if we move on to sort of the implications of the study, Ben, that, you know, the, the strengths of it are without question in terms of the size of the study and the analysis performed. And, uh, and it has shown, I think, quite clearly that while all fixation devices for total replacement perform well at long-term follow-up, uh, cemented fixation is associated with the lowest implant survival in all age groups, in, including more elderly patients, although this was obviously not significant, as you've very nicely highlighted. So Ben, what do you feel are the key take-home clinical messages of the study? I suppose sort of caveating and considering any potential limitations of the data. So the first thing to say is that all implants perform well, mm. uh, but certainly in our unit, an, an all-cemented fixation had the lowest implant survivorship, and so we would suggest that surgeons should uh, carefully monitor their own outcomes uh, and make sure they are getting the best results they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the other thing to say is that there isn't much evidence out there that switching the implant choice or fixation philosophy of a poorly performing surgeon will improve their outcomes, aside from perhaps removing an implant such as a large diameter metal on metal bearer. Uh, certainly here, the senior surgeon on this paper, probably the highest volume hip surgeon, really does have a truly mixed fixation philosophy. And I'm not sure that one philosophy fits everyone. And certainly in my own practice, I use a variety of philosophies depending on bone quality, age, activity levels, uh, and so on. Uh, and so a, a nuanced and individualized approach to accommodate those variables is probably uh, a sensible solution. We've certainly found that cemented sockets seem to be a bit of a problem with loosening. Uh, and there is also, the again, coming back to the limitation of using revision as your endpoint, there are quite a lot that I think have certainly have loosened lines around them, but may not be revised, if, particularly if they're loosening in elderly patients. Mm. But flip that round, the cemented stems, I think, certainly confer advantages. They do well. Uh, They certainly offer you advantages in the conservative cement and cement type revision uh, procedure as well. So I think we we just simply suggest that implant choice and fixation philosophy is fairly complicated. uh, And surgeons should be aware of their own and their own unit results and act if their results are a concern. But if their results are good and they're practicing in a sensible and cost effective environment, then uh, we feel our review should support surgeons doing what works in their own hands. Yeah, no, absolutely, Ben. And I think that's a, a very nice point. I think it's always our nature as surgeons to find trying to find the one philosophy or the one way of doing things. But I think you discussed very nicely in the end of the paper about how there is probably isn't one philosophy that suits all and you've got to adapt to the patient and to, to your practice as well. In terms of just what we touched very briefly on your findings, your thoughts basically in, in terms of the findings in relation to the causes of resistance between, between the groups, is that what you sort of expected? And is that sort of consistent with the literature? Yes, I think I think it is fairly consistent with the literature. So we're, we've been here before, but a cementless socket allows for liner exchanges, which a cemented socket obviously doesn't. Mm. We did see significantly lower revision rates for aseptic loosening of the cup with a cementless cup, but a slightly higher revision rate for stem aseptic loosening with a mm. cementless stem, and definitely a higher revision rate for stem periprosthetic fracture rates with a mm. cementless stem. There are d- implant design options that can mitigate that. So, for example, Josh Lamb's paper in the BJJ in 2019 and Michael Morlock's one from the German registry in earlier last year show that adding a calcar collar can be protective against aseptic loosening and periprosthetic fracture fixation. And the German registry paper is really quite interesting because one of the, the analyses it does looks at the same implant with and without a collar. Same implant with a collar has got a significantly lower revision rate, both for periprosthetic fracture and for all cause. And the revision of that collared stem is the same as the best cemented stem in that German registry. So there does seem to be some implant factors that can improve the performance of cementless prosthesis. That's really interesting. That's a really interesting paper as well. And, and sort of, Ben, to maybe finish off, uh, you know, we've, we've maybe touched on it at the beginning, but 
What is your take on the data in the literature that suggests, you know, one of the potential driving for using cemented prosthesis is the reported lower cost? Do you think that really bears out in reality and in practice day to day? Or or do you think there's multiple factors to that as well? So there are multiple factors to that. Implant cost is fairly complex. It's driven by volume and by local procurement contracts um, Mm. and and can be affected by other procurement contracts as well. For example, if your knee prosthesis comes from the same supplier. Clearly, a polyethylene cemented cup is cheaper than a cementless cup, which has got a, a metal-backed cup, a liner, and uh, possibly one or two screws. Yeah. Cementless stems are generally equivalent to a cemented stem and cement and a mixing system and a restrictor and a pressurizer. Mm. So we don't, certainly in our own unit, there is very little difference between the cost of a hybrid construct and a cementless construct. Mm. Clearly, an all-cemented construct is is going to be cheaper, possibly by about two to three hundred pounds. I think it's also important not just to look at the cost of the procedure, but also cost effectiveness. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are some studies out there looking at cost effectiveness of different constructs. There's one from uh, Pennington in the BMJ in 2013, which showed that hybrid was the most cost effective option in all age groups, except women over the age of 80. Uh, And there was one from the BJJ in 2015, which really showed no evidence that any one fixation philosophy was more cost effective than another in any age group. There are people who argue that uh, cementless hips allow for the potential increase in productivity because it's time fatiguing for the cement to set between 18 to 24 minutes, depending on what study you read. But I think it's also fair to say that in the NHS, this is rarely an issue. We generally don't have as many cases on the list as, for example, high-volume Australian or US um, surgical centres. And even the GERFT report noted that high-volume cementless units seem to have issues with productivity. Yeah. So that may not be the best argument in, in, in the UK practice. No, absolutely, Ben. I think that's a, a really nice point to finish on. A really nice overview, I think, of, of the, uh, and a balanced argument of the findings for your paper. So I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. It was a really great talking to you, Ben, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And congratulations again on an excellent study that has, without doubt, added uh, to literature considerably in the area. It was great to have you with us. Thank you very much. And to our listeners, we do hope you've enjoyed joining us and we encourage you to share your thoughts and comments through social media and alike. Feel free to tweet or post about anything we have discussed here today. Uh, And uh, thanks again for joining us, everyone. Take care.